the Hilliard Studio Podcast, your resource for everything happening in the Hilliard Studio Method world. Hilliard Studio Method is open for in-studio classes with a limited capacity, giving you a total of four different ways to work out with HSM. Whether you want to join us at home, online, outside the studio, or in a small group in-studio, you can pick the HSM class that fits your needs. For more information or to book classes, visit us at HilliardStudioMethod.com. Thanks for listening. And now, here's your hosts, Liz Hilliard and Lee Canelli. Hi, everyone. We're excited to be here again today. I'm Liz Hilliard, along with Lee Canelli, And we've got a special guest that I know that Lee's excited to uh, introduce to you today. I am. I am. Let me just get right to it. I am a huge fan of our guest. Um, I stumbled upon her about two years ago, I think. Got to meet her in person once last year. And I would like to introduce a very special kind of just overall badass lady serena wolf is here welcome serena hi thank you for having me thank you for being here if, if anyone does not know serena is a classically trained chef and author she's got a huge presence on instagram social you're self-proclaimed on your website domestic guide i'd like to call it like a domestic goddess right all things kind thank of health you. and wellness <laughs> and beauty Oh, it's a, it's a, I try to condense the bio, um, but it's always hard because I feel like we are able to wear so many hats these days, which is pretty awesome. That is awesome. That is awesome. Um, We wanted to have you on just because we find you very real and refreshing. Mm -hmm. You're a hard worker, you know, an entrepreneur, all things kind of health and wellness. I'm kind of obsessed with the cooking side of it. Yeah. Um, and, and we'll get into a lot of different things. You have also, you're a podcast co-host, let us not yes. forget, of a podcast called Spiraling. So we'll talk a little bit about anxiety down the road. But where I want to start is kind of a background, like Serena before today, right? Like maybe growing up, you're from California. What led you to culinary school? Kind of the story of who you are. Well, so I am a born, <laughs> Mike, how much time do we have? Where do we begin? Um, I am born and raised in Southern California. So LA and Santa Barbara. Um, I grew up like thinking that I wanted to be in entertainment in general. Um, I didn't really know what that meant. And then in college, I thought I wanted to be a writer. And like, I didn't really know if that was fiction or TV or what that meant. Um, and in, I, I felt sort of behind in life when I was in college because I really never knew exactly what I wanted to do. And I now realize that nobody knows exactly what they want to <laughs> do. But at, you know, 2021, 20, I was like, ah, like everybody else seems to have it figured out. And I was sort of flailing in the inspiration department. And I decided that I wanted to move to Paris, um, which is both a very naive and also very privileged like decision to make. Um, but I was going to move. My plan was to, you know, everybody was moving to various cities after college. I was like, I'm going to move to Paris and get freelance writing gigs and figure things out when I got there. Uh, and 
when I got there, I realized that, A, like I really did not speak French and I thought I was <laughs> fluent. So that was very jarring <laughs> off the bat. But uh, I also was having a very hard time finding work. And I was like, I don't, I'm not going to be able to stay here. This is a bad decision. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine suggested that I take the basic program at Cordon Bleu and was like, it's three months. You just, it's a great life skill to have. It'll give you some structure. Maybe it'll provide some inspiration, you know, like why not? Um, and I started in the basic course, having no experience, like no background, nobody in my family. Wow. So this was not wow. a lifelong dream of mine. Um, I was very spoiled growing up in California in that I was exposed to sort of delicious, healthy food, Mm -hmm. fresh produce, fresh flavors. My mother was sort of ahead of the curve on the like healthy eating front. So I grew up around that, but nobody was, nobody was cooking. Let's be very clear about that. (laughs) Um, And I was very intimidated at first because I had a very romanticized notion of what culinary school would be. And I think Uh we all of us who watched Julie and Julia. I was just going to say, did you see that movie? And isn't it hard to get into Cordon Bleu? Is it a big deal? I'm like, I'm, I'm going to out myself. Like, anybody can go to Cordon Bleu. Like, yeah. Wow, I doubt, them, I doubt I could. You if could, you, I couldn't. If you fill out the application and write them a check, like, you can, yeah. you can get it. Um, but oh but that's that's between us and your listeners now. So people listening, please right. don't tell anybody that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was really trial by fire in the sense that a lot of people there had a background in cooking. Either Mm -hmm. they had worked in restaurants before or it was their lifelong dream to become a chef. Mm -hmm. And so they had arrived at Cordon Bleu with, you know, at least some cooking experience under their belt. And I just had zero. So I was so sort of terrified all the time. And also a lot of people say to me, it's my dream to go to culinary Mm -hmm. school. And I, I, never want to rain on anyone's parade, but I tend to ask some follow-up questions be like, Oh, what do you hope to do with that? And they're like, Oh no, it would just be so fun. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> if you like, you're up at five forty-five, you're in your starch uniform with your hairnet, you're on your feet all day. You're getting yelled at by French chefs. Like you're taking exams. It's not, you know, we're not roasting chickens and drinking wine, which is what I thought we were going to be doing. <laughs> right. were going to do. And, and by this time, are you able to speak fluent French? At least you can understand what they're yelling no. at you. In French. The, issue, oh, wow. the issue is that wow. also on top of my French being. So they think you're kind of spotty. slow. Yes. Yes. And also I really played that up because if they think they can't, you can't understand what they're yelling at you. They just sort of give up at a certain point, but there, there were a lot of terms in French that I didn't even know in English because I didn't cook. So I would be like, oh, wow. what? Like, what is this? And then I'd be at home Googling the English, like looking up the English oh word. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, but so it might be I, easy to get in, but to get through is a different story. Through, actually, a lot of people drop out and very yeah. few people actually graduate. Um, what kept you in there? I, the short story is it sounds so cliche and I can't really put a finger on it, but like somewhere like two months in, I really sort of felt very at peace in the program in the sense that you watch these three hour demonstrations where they teach you different techniques and recipes, and then you execute them in a a test kitchen, essentially like in the, the practical class. And 
it's so quiet in there. You could hear a pin drop. You have like three hours then to execute whatever you've been taught. And everybody is so focused on what they're doing. And the type A side of my brain really loved that. Like learn. And there was not any flexibility there. So it was very much following directions, which I'm great at. So it was (laughs) like, watch this recreate. And so like, it was very actually soothing to me. Wow. And also looking back, I realized I was weirdly at an advantage because I had no cooking experience. So I didn't have any bad habits to break everything that Got was it. taught. I was just soaking up like a sponge. Whereas a lot of people, you know, had to sort of reevaluate uh, their knife skills and break all of these bad habits or they were taught to cook a certain way. And now they have to, in order to get good grades, they have to completely shift how they cook. And I didn't have to worry about that because I was basically a blank canvas. So <laughs> that's a, that's a great story. That's really, and it really, it really helped yeah. me learn too how to teach people, I think, right. which is something that I'm doing a lot of now. And I think as somebody who had no experience and found, you know, what was easiest for me to digest from these different instructors. I think that's sort of my strong suit is mm-hmm. making these techniques feel less intimidating to, you know, the average person who does not have any culinary background. No, I think that's so true. I mean, um, I've used your, your website and your cookbooks sometimes before I'll be like, these are the things I want to cook, but I don't know how to cook it. Mm-hmm. So like my favorite one was like a Faro risotto. I mean, I've never done anything yeah. like that and you make it so attainable and accessible. And, and I appreciate that part of it. <laughs> Thank you. So was that um, from the, uh, the, the dude diet, the first one yes. or the second one? Yeah. Second one. Okay. That was there the second one. Okay. There's, there's one, two. there's a, there's a Pharaoh risotto. Right. Both. Um, um, so the first time uh, I heard about you, Serena, I'm just going to interject this really quick. Um, <laughs> I'm, I, I struggle to cook. I struggle to, you know, boil water, whatever. Luckily I'm with Lee a lot, pretty much all the time. And um, I remember the very first time she said, we're going to go to this place in Charlotte. It's called Tabor. It's a men's clothing store. Uh-huh. And we're going to meet this fabulous. She's written this great book called the dude diet. And I'm like, Okay, that sounds great. We're neither one guys, but I think this is a great <laughs> idea. I'm really looking forward to it. And I'll get to meet your hero. And so right. we show up at Tabor. There's a line out the door of people that are like between 20 and 40 years old. I could be everyone's great grandmother. <laughs> and I'm like, what's happening here? Why do I not know what this is about? And it was like, you, people were starstruck over this thing. And you, congratulations on that. Because I, I stood in the line and I was like, I felt really uncomfortable because I was like, I don't know her. And now I feel like an idiot because I don't know her. And I'm going to go meet her, which I did. You were very sweet. And you have looking, a picture. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so you're probably like, yeah, she brought her mother. That's lovely. I know. <laughs> But it was so funny. I was like, this is a big deal. You're like a rock star. It's a big deal. But well, first of all, thank you so much. But I feel like we need to rewind a bit (laughs) because this was my second book tour. Um, Um, And my first book tour, uh, there were not lines out the door. (laughs) And there were a number of events where there were like two people there. So it was equally mind blowing to me Mm -hmm. that there were people willing to wait in a line. And I think that that's been sort of the most magical thing Mm -hmm. about social media is 
There are so many downsides, but I, and I talk to so many people in the space all the time and I feel sort of uniquely, uh, like excited and loyal to like my people on Instagram because they really show up for me in a hilarious way. That's like, I would never have anticipated. And I, it's, I think for me, because for a long time, Instagram, like was not remotely a revenue source for me. I was just able to like show up. And for a long time, it was a break from the other things that I was doing that I really didn't enjoy. (laughs) So Mm I, after culinary school, I had no idea what I wanted to do and I was never going to be, you know, I wanted to write a cookbook. So I wrote a proposal and it was like flat out denied by oh. every, it also sucked. It was called, food that doesn't, <laughs> it was called food that doesn't suck. And it like kind of, oh, that's sucked. awesome. So that was ironic. That's amazing. <laughs> How'd you come up with the do diet? That was actually, so I started my blog in culinary school as like sort of a way to keep in touch with people, you know, 2011, mm-hmm. it was literally dot blogspot.com. <laughs> um, and very few people were reading it. But when I came home, I started private chefing and I was still working on the blog because blogging was sort of starting to take off. And I had originally wanted to be on TV too. So I had this talent agent and they were like, you have to like build a presence, but this was pre-Instagram. So it was like, how do you do that other than building a blog and hoping that people read it? Just like Julia, Julia. Yeah, (laughs) seriously. Exactly. But I started a column on my blog, which again, so the blog was very, very low-fi back in the day. And I was like (laughs) taking pictures on my Blackberry. Like, oh, wow. Yeah, that's good. It was so bad. And I had started dating Logan, my now husband, when I was in Paris, came home after graduation, moved in with him and just realized his eating habits were absurd. And they are so funny (laughs) because he's the most endearing human to like watch eat food. It's sort of like watching the photographer for my cookbooks when he has to take pictures of Logan. He's like, it's like trying to shoot a toddler. He like moves so much and takes such big bites. And like, I don't know how to handle it. Uh, That's great. It was basically, I started, I wrote a one-off post that was like, you know, my boyfriend is on a diet and it wasn't a real diet. So it was more the fact that he had become somewhat sedentary. He was a college athlete, had become somewhat sedentary mm. in the work world, was eating really unhealthily, didn't know anything about nutrition, which I don't, I truly do not think is remotely his fault because as women, I think we're bombarded with so much information mm. about health and wellness and like how, you know, how to eat properly and mm-hmm. weight loss nonsense and all of these things. And men just aren't in the same way. And I think they are more now, but not yeah. quite to the extent as, you know, women were. And so I sort of tried to talk to him about nutrition, but he just wasn't interested. Uh-huh. So I was like, what can I, I was cooking anyway for my blog for my private chef clients, et cetera. So I was like, what if I start developing recipes that are all of his favorite things? And he does not have highbrow culinary taste. Like, <laughs> What's his favorite like, food? Cheesesteaks, pizza. He's from Philly. Like yeah. pizza, yeah. wings, like traditional comfort food. Mm-hmm. Um, and he never ate vegetables. So I was like, okay, how can we do this? 
in a way where I can work in more vegetables in a way that he's, I wasn't hiding them. It was just like, they weren't the star. Like you didn't look at it and be like, Oh wow. Broccoli. It was like, how can I integrate more vegetables, more lean meats, more whole grains in a way that he would be excited about. And like, my goal was always, and still is to this day is I truly believe that healthy food can be really, really delicious and not Mm -hmm. compromise Mm -hmm. on anything. But I never want somebody to say that one of my recipes is good for being healthy. Like it should just be good. It should be delicious. No qualifier. Yes. Delicious across the board. So so he loved these. And that was, and so I, I posted this one recipe and I got all of these responses and keep in mind, like, I didn't have many people reading. So getting like five emails, I was like, I've made it. This is- <laughs> Here we are. I love and it. People uh, were like, is the dude diet a real thing? And I was like, no, but it could be. Um, <laughs> and it just became this series on the blog that was so much more, I don't want to say it was so popular because it's all relative, but it was so much more popular than the other mm-hmm. posts that I was writing. Um, and I talked to a book agent about it and she was like, look, like, if you want to write a book, the dude died is your only book. So got it. It's that or nothing. Um, and oh. at the time it was also something that it was the only thing I could have written an entire book of recipes, sur- like surrounding that concept, because you don't just write a cookbook. Like everybody's like, I'd love to write a cookbook. And sadly you can't just write a collection of your best recipes. Like right. there has to be a serious hook. And that's mm-hmm. something that I'm like, honestly struggling with at this stage in my career. It's like, I don't think I want to write another dude diet book, mm-hmm. but I can't just write like cook by a... Serena Wolf. Like I have to find a new hook now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> why don't you do it? Why don't you do a low anxiety diet book? Ah. <laughs> you know, something I mean, sort of melding yeah. in between. And cause there is a lot to be said about that. Right. The things you put Definitely. in our body and our mental and physical health being so related. Um, yeah. can I, ask you, I mean, a real quick question about your husband. Does he yes. now, um, and, and I know some of the things that are in the dude diet, but does he now eat healthy food as just normal or do you have to sort of disappear it? Like, you know, into a burrito. <laughs> no, he now, and what was so wild about it. So I wrote that first dude diet post in 2012, mm-hmm. now almost 2021. Um, and I would say after about a year of like eating more less than that, six months maybe of eating more healthily. He started doing it on his own because I think he had conditioned his body to not respond to all of the crap that he was eating. So once he started eating more healthily, every time he like ate a cheesesteak, he was super excited about it, but he also was able to register the difference in how he felt. So right. Logan still eats cheesesteaks and burritos and pizza and all these things, but instead of eating them every day, it's now like a couple times a week or whatever. And he's also like aware that he might need to lie down for a bit afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I've seen him. He makes an appearance on your Instagram. Yeah, yeah quite funny. You're so, you're so relatable. And, yeah. and that's the thing we were talking about when we were going to invite you on. It's so, I think uh, it's the beauty of Instagram also is that you can really pinpoint not uh, authentic really quickly. I mean, mm. that just, you can't translate, you can, you unreal translates very, very badly. And so you I come think up, that's true. you know, you, you say you're, you're, I don't know, they're not your clients, but your people that love to listen to you and res- respond to you are so incredible, but there, it's sort of a reciprocation of just sort of feeling very involved. I think you make people feel very one-on-one involved, even though there's, you've got what, several thousand followers, they feel like they know you. And that's a real, 
we're like 50,000, 50,000, right. <laughs> several, that's, several. First of all, that's incredibly generous and also like the, the best possible compliment. And I think that like, what's a little bit sad is the more that social media mushrooms and the more time people spend online, I think it's, it's very easy just to like get lost in it and, Mm -hmm. and fall into the comparison trap or, you know, be sort of doom scrolling, you know, but I, what I always encourage, I do it myself. So it's something that like, I talk about a lot with my friends and then also with, you know, my people on Instagram is like, stop following accounts that don't make you feel good. If you like, don't talk behind their back, don't hate follow them. Like if somebody, if you don't relate to them, if anything about their account makes you feel bad, and sometimes that's not a reflection of them. Sometimes we're in a phase of our life where, you know, it just, that person is triggering an insecurity we have, or it's making us, you know, feel if we're in like a career lull and they're sort of having this, you know, wild explosion, you might look at them and be like, "Mm, this is, it's not their fault. It's just, it's not making me feel great. So I'm going to mute or I'm going to unfollow for a bit and I can come back to them at a better place. Because I think ultimately the thing that a lot of us, and I, I, I'm always struggling to take my own advice here on this too. But I think it's really easy to sort of fall, like fall victim to the social media sphere and not recognize that we control it. So like we are actually responsible mm-hmm. for how our social media media makes us feel. So if somebody's like, oh, like she always makes me feel badly about myself, it's like, well it's actually kind of your fault that you're allowing her to, you don't know her unfollow. Like there's no. Yeah. Yeah, It's always interesting people writing really nasty things on people's social media. Why are you bothering with that? Why are you putting that amount of negative energy out there? That certainly can't make you feel better. Right. Yes. So how do you manage it? Because I've been on the other side of you know, sliding into your DMs and asking you a question or whatnot. And you always respond. So I just don't know how you possibly manage. I, well, okay. First of all, the way I think about it is like, if you're taking time out of your day and yes, granted, it's like, if it's a question or something, but like, it's it's, not necessarily, it doesn't require, like, I'm not required to answer, but I always feel like, if you're taking time out of your day to engage with me, like that's sort of the, that was the purpose of social media was to be Mm -hmm. social. Mm -hmm. And I find it's really bad for my mental health. If I'm just like a passive, like user, so to speak. That makes sense. Um, So I actually don't consume a lot of social media. Like I don't scroll a lot or like watch a lot of stories. Um, So it does free up my time to engage with, the people who choose to ask questions or have discussions with me about things. And I'm not sure if I'm being honest, like I kind of love, like it's, it's gotten harder over the years. Cause it's just like, now the volume is so intense right. mm-hmm. that I'm like, in theory, you want to continue to grow. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't know if this were to like double, triple, quadruple. I'm like, I genuinely could never, ever get back to everyone. And I think that's something that 
You can grow with that though. You I mean, as long like as people would understand. Be, yeah. Yeah. As long as you continue and, to be real and say that, yeah, you know, and say like, that. Yeah. Like and I've I got, people, I now have a posse answering all my DMs, you know, <laughs> or, or it's more like, I find it's really interesting where I'm an instant gratification person. So like, if I want to know something, I will, you know, Google it. If somebody wants my opinion on something, like what's, what's your preferred, I don't know, nonstick skillet. They can't get that by Googling it. But sometimes I actually get a high volume of Google questions. Like what's the difference between a red and a yellow onion? And like, it genuinely, it's not that it bothers me. It's more like I'll get back to that person, but I'm like, you I'll look at when it was sent and I'm usually pretty speedy, but sometimes it takes me a day. So I'll be like, you just waited 24 hours to know the difference between a yellow and a red onion. Like I, that would drive me insane. I would have to know right away. Like if I was doing it, oh, and so that just cracks me up where I'm like, yeah. I guess I have one friend who's like on principle, I do not respond uh-huh. to Googleable questions. Cause I find them insulting. It's an insult, you know, right. like yeah. it, it's, it, there's no respect for my time. And like, I don't feel that way, but I'm also just like, my mind is boggled because I'm like, I would, I would need to know. I would need to know about hey. the difference. <laughs> like, so are you just on Instagram? Do you do Twitter, Facebook? I do not. Um, None of that. Okay. I, I have Twitter and Facebook um, mm-hmm. and I'll like schedule posts, but I don't engage on there. And I, I actually don't have people engaging with me on those platforms mm-hmm. either. Um, it's funny because I used to obviously use Facebook a lot. Mm-hmm. And then once Instagram came around, I, I truly believe in investing in the platform where you feel that you have the most connection with people for a lot of people that's YouTube. Um, and some people are so active on Twitter. So that makes perfect sense, but we cannot do it all. There's no way to be active, very active on all platforms. When do you think you kind of figured that out for the most part? Has it been really authentic as Instagram and social media has gotten bigger or did you say, this is my goal. Here's how I'm going to do it and handle it. Um, Definitely the former in yeah. the sense that I, I've never had specific goals for social media. Um, and I, I am very conscious of making sure that it always remains partnerships on social media, which have exploded in the past few years and things like that are always well under 50% of my income, because if it went away tomorrow, or if I ended up being in a life phase where I was like, I just want to walk away from this, Mm -hmm. I still want to have a business that's intact. Um, But I think that what happened with Instagram is I was an avid Snapchat user for a while because (laughs) it was the, it was the OG version of Instagram stories. So I was, I had, I had literally like 200 followers on Snapchat, but we were like, in it together. In so it. I was doing all of the things that I now do on Instagram stories, like cook, like recipe tutorials and things like that. Cause there wasn't that option anywhere else. Right. Um, and I mean, YouTube, but I, YouTube is a very specific skill set, and I feel like I'm too old yeah. for it and it scares me. <laughs> <laughs> we identify. Yes, definitely. Oh, okay. Talk about your like you know, pandemic pivot, you wrote a cookbook, you wrote a second cookbook, you're on the road touring 2020 hits like on the breaks. And I've watched everything that you've done, but how are you, you know, an entrepreneur this year? I think what's really interesting is if you had told me in Mm -hmm. February that I would now be like running a virtual cooking class subscription popper. I'd be like, what? Like I've never, (laughs) you know, like it literally sounds absurd to me, 
But I was sort of, I had a few stops left on my book tour when the pandemic hit. I was so grateful that I got to get through most of it because I had been looking forward to it for literally two years. Like the tour is my favorite part of the book process. And like I would go, writing a book is wonderful and deeply, deeply terrible. So like I would, (laughs) the only reason I would ever consider doing more of them is so that I get to like do the tours. Uh Um, But I was sad to like miss out on the tail end of the tour. And I was like, okay, how can I be the most helpful to people while also like still generating revenue? And I'm also lucky that I've been in this like food world for long enough that I have built up various revenue streams, which I think is something that most people don't realize. I think that whatever, however you found me is how you think of me. So to my people on Instagram, I think I'm an influencer, which honestly doesn't bother me at all. I just think it's kind of funny that they're like, you know, as an influencer, I'm like, I'm not an influencer, like I'm a chef, Uh but I get that that's what they think of me because that's how they consume my Mm -hmm. products. They're Mm -hmm. watching my recipe tutorials or asking me for, you know, skincare recommendations or whatever. So to them, I'm I'm an influencer to people who found me through like my anxiety podcast. I'm a podcaster. They maybe mm-hmm. don't follow me on Instagram and they don't even care that I do food stuff to people who just bought my cookbook in a bookstore or on Amazon or somebody gave it to them. Like I'm a cookbook author. Uh, and now for people who take my classes, like I'm their culinary instructor. So I think it's okay to have other people label you as something, as mm-hmm. long as you have a clear vision of who you are and want to be. And that's something I struggled with for a long time. And now I just realized like, I want to be a creative entrepreneur. That ah, is so that's, that's how you, that's who you are to yourself. That's what I was That's who I am to myself. A creative yeah. entrepreneur. Oh, well I like said. that. I relate to that completely. Right. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. And that means and, more than, and that means all of the things you just mentioned and, and things you haven't even done yet. So that sort of leaves yeah. the door open to, you know, Hey, check what I'm doing next. And maybe your next book is more, you know, about that. And maybe it brings the cooking with it somewhat, you know? And I think, yeah. And I think that's like something that in March when the pandemic hit was sort of in the forefront of my mind is like, if this is who you're going to label yourself as like, let's Let's do it. Yeah. Let's get the wheels in motion. And like, how are you going to pivot? Like, Mm -hmm. how is this going to work? Do you want to start another book right now? Because at least that's a project that you could throw yourself into while you are staying at home for, at that point, it was like, is it going to be two weeks? Is it going to be years? Like, who knows? Um, And what, again, was sort of a weird twist of fate is that um, a like friend of mine from college, her husband had started a platform that was, um, I think it was originally like, to share like a version of ZocDoc almost like a healthcare platform where people could share providers and different things. I don't know, but he pivoted with his business partner in March to take this tech and turn it into a virtual teaching platform. And she reached out to me and was like, Hey, would you be willing to chat with my husband? He has this idea. Um, and I was like, absolutely. And I talked to him and he was like, would you ever consider teaching virtual cooking classes? And I was like, the weird (laughs) thing is like, I, uh, have taught obviously in-person cooking classes and they were always my least favorite thing to do. Huh. And I think mm-hmm. the weird thing about it is in person, especially in New York, 
first of all, the margins are very low. So right. like, it's essentially promotional because you have to rent a space. You got to get people there. You can only have like mm-hmm. 10 people in a class. Maybe you got to schlep all of your career right. to a test kitchen. It's just, it's so much work for so little yeah. reward. Um, and it just never really resonated with me because also I was like, just, I was just demoing and you don't, I don't know, you don't really like interact with people that much, even though you think you would. And so I was like, okay, I'll try it. But I was not excited about it. Like Mm -hmm. I was just like, and I also was like, people will do this for maybe a month or something. So sure, I'll throw a couple of classes out there, see what happens. And the first few classes were, I don't want to say they're bad because they weren't, they were just sort of, I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, none of us know what we're doing when we do something for the first time. And I was so anxious, like going into these classes and like, we can talk about anxiety too, but like I had, I'm somebody whose anxiety is very much triggered by the unknown. So I was having like mild panic attacks in the beginning of these classes Mm. that I've been had anxiety for so long that like, I truly don't think anybody was able to notice, but like I could notice. And I was like, Oh, like, why, why is this happening? But I knew it was because I was trying something new. And at first, like the first two classes sold out, which was nuts. Like, and I was like, Whoa, like how, how? And I think it was because people thought this was like a one-off thing. So everybody signed up (laughs) for these like two classes. And then I was like, why don't I keep Wait a second. trying yeah. this? And then I offered a couple more and attendance went down. And I think it was because the weather got nicer. People were mm-hmm. outside mm-hmm. doing things. But also I think it was because people didn't understand what they were. So I was like, okay, how can I continue to do this and also express to people that like, this is a cool, fun thing that they want to be involved in. And I, I still, after all these years, like really the like hefty, aggressive self-promotion makes me so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so like when people tag me in their photos on Instagram recipes and stuff, I don't tend to repost them because I'm like, does anybody really want to see like 30 people's meals? Like it's (laughs) self-aggrandizing, but I don't think it's entertaining to people who are watching my stories. And then I was like, maybe I should start sharing people's photos from these classes, because I don't think people get that there are other people doing it. And there is this sort of herd Mm -hmm. mentality where it's like, Oh my God, there's so many people in this. Like, should I be doing this? This looks cool. Right. Right. (laughs) And that marketing tactic really started to work. And so the classes, which I also, after like the first 10, I was like, this is what works. This is what doesn't. And I think what I've learned because I have failed so many times in the past decade that I've been trying different things is like, if you go into things without sort of expectations attached to them and are just like, this sounds cool. Am I enjoying it? Can I learn something from it? And yes, there is an element of financial privilege involved where I now have the flexibility to do this. I could not have done this like eight years ago. Be like, let's devote tons of time to something and see if, see if it works. <laughs> see if that floats. But, but I am now in a position in my career where I'm like, I can test drive this and see if it there's like long-term potential here. And I started talking to my husband about it. And I was like, I'm really enjoying this from it. It's a lot of it's a lot of organization, which I don't right. love. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
it's really amazing the difference in the experience of like an in-person class versus virtual. Everybody's in their kitchen. Mm-hmm. They don't They're have intimate. to go anywhere. Good, They're think. able to pay, pay a lower price point. They show up like at the time. They don't have to do any prep in advance. We make a full meal from start to finish. And then at the end, they sign off and they have Let's dinner by this. themselves or with their families. <laughs> you guys have to do it. Yeah, I've got to do this. I want to do it. It's, yeah, we, why don't we really do this already? Fun. Yeah, it sounds intimate. fun. And sure, it's group right? energy. And so those started to take off. And then in... October, September, October, I launched a subscription so that, you know, for the price of one mm-hmm. class, you people get access to all live classes every month and an on-demand video library of past classes. And what's been amazing is like, again, like I mentioned with Instagram, it's like what makes me feel sort of more fulfilled on a daily basis is knowing that like, I am not just like selling something to people. I'm actually I'm, I'm hesitant to say anything that sounds like overly cheesy, but th- there's an actual connection there. And yeah. so like now every week, these subscribers come back and it's like, people start to recognize each other, like, other, like right. on their Zoom. You're, screen, you're building I a community. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, and I think that's what everyone is really resonating to right now in the pandemic and, and it's speaking to their, to their heart and to their tummies and to their soul is saying, I've got a group of people. They might be in New York or California or North Carolina, but we're going to have a dinner tonight. I mean, what a, what a, I think it's very intimate and very cool. So and like what, what you just said that. is the most important part. It's like usually only people in New York would be able to come to a class or like, right. you know, like you came to Tabor. It's like, I'm in, right. you know, it's like I'm in town for one night only. Yeah. But like, it's like now Plus anywhere it, you are in the country, you can come. And you can drink as much wine as you want. <laughs> yes. No yes. Judging. Do you see people get kind yeah. of smashed? Yeah, no. Yes. Yes, totally. I was like, people will be like, I set off my smoke alarm. You can hear it. You know, like, it's like very funny. And we always make a cocktail at the beginning of class or like people have that. wine or beer or whatever it is. And like, I try to, I try to mostly stick to Thursday nights. Yeah. Though, so they're like, people right. can let loose. <laughs> well, can I ask That's you a question? Funny. Sort of pivoting a little yeah. bit, even though we ever use that word, um, the, the anxiety part. Yeah. So, so yeah. you got through the beginning of that. It was the unknown and that apparently triggers your anxiety. Um, and I, I've listened to your very first podcast during with your spiraling, uh, spiraling mm-hmm. which is, if anybody cares to, I think I highly recommend it. And uh, tell me, tell me a, a little bit about that. What, what is your go-to remedy? First of all, you're going into this cooking class first time you're having these mild panic attacks. Somehow you made it through people related to you. You're in the middle of having an anxiety attack. Tell me how you do that. Right. <laughs> I think first of all, it's years and years of practice. And that's like something that I now have a literal arsenal of like anxiety management tools from CBD to like, literally I changed back in the day. Like I made a lot of dietary changes. Like I mm. don't drink. I have one cup of coffee every day, but like I mm-hmm. scaled back my caffeine. I don't eat a ton of refined sugar because that's a trigger mm-hmm. for me. Um, I don't drink a ton of alcohol. Like I used to drink so much more, but for mm-hmm. me, that's again, another big anxiety trigger. Yeah. Um, regular exercise. I, was, I did not exercise until I was like 30 years old. And then I finally started exercising and my anxiety got so much better. My therapist was like, cool, cool, cool. I've been telling you this for a decade. Exactly. But like, <laughs> exactly. Well, that's that's <laughs> our business too. So but also, we agree. Yeah. And, yeah, and you guys know what a huge impact it has on your mental health, but also like, I mean, I am very open about trying to have more discussions around anxiety because people feel so 
alone about it. And I think that stress and anxiety are very different things, although they're Mm -hmm. often conflated. And like, when Mm -hmm. I'm stressed out, I actually feel great because like my brain doesn't have room for anxiety. When I'm like, (laughs) have a ton of things to do, I'm like, Oh God, I'm so stressed. But I'm like, you are going to knock it out, girl. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like when I'm anxious, it's typically like, honestly, my anxiety usually gets the worst when I like, like when I turn in a book or I finish a big partnership or like something like that. And then it comes rushing back in because I have this free brain space. And like, also I want to like point out, I am not on medication currently, but like, I firmly believe that there should mm-hmm. be no shame in taking medication to manage anxiety or depression or anything mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. Um, and therapy but, and, and all ther- of the above. And I love therapy. Right. Like, <laughs> and I think that's been really instrumental for me in the sense that it's been very helpful to have somebody to a help me put together that arsenal of management tools, but also sometimes like they're usually up until this year. And I think a lot of people who have anxiety, it's been heightened in 2020 obvious reasons. (laughs) So I felt like my anxiety was like really well managed. And I think we all go through these phases. And then I felt kind of like I had like fallen off the wagon. And I think there is a, even though I don't, I don't intellectually agree with it. I would be lying if I said that like the spring when it started to get bad again, that I wasn't Mm -hmm. like, kind of ashamed and like frustrated and angry Mm. and like, why, why are you back here? Um, and I think that's just like a natural response, but having, I think what's been really helpful to me too, over the years is practicing self-talk. And it sounds like such a sort of fluffy nebulous thing to say. And I don't literally like say out loud, although you can, that works for a lot of people. But like when I start to panic, for example, if I'm teaching a class, my brain can multitask. So I can be talking about chopping a bell pepper and having a discussion with yourself (laughs) and telling myself like, you're fine. You're Mm -hmm. having a panic attack. It Mm -hmm. will pass. You've been here before. Everything is fine. Mm -hmm. You are safe. Like whatever. And it's like, what's going on inside my brain. I'm not like standing in the kitchen being like, just hold on everyone. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Do some (laughs) self-talk. Um, but it it really does make a huge difference. And it, Mm -hmm. the more you do it, the more you kind of start to believe yourself. And the Mm -hmm. same goes for the reverse. Like if you tell yourself it's a cycle. So like after that first panic attack in the class, I was like, I would start to get anxious before each class. Cause I was like, mm-hmm. you're probably going to have a panic attack. So yep. if you tell yourself that you're far more likely to actually have a panic attack than if you like stand there before the class starts and you're like, you're not going to have a panic attack. You're mm-hmm. fine. Like everything's going to be Just fine. Breathing, whatever. Any Just, of that, any of the breathing exercises or movement, like if you, you know, went out and ran right before you did this class or you take, you know, deep, deep breaths, uh, release some kind of small meditation. Do you do anything like that? I do a lot of like, I will, put, I will put my legs, legs up the wall. wall. Yeah. No, which, like, I used to do that when I modeled. <laughs> really? It's yeah. It's great like, for you. Oh, it's so good. It reinvigorates you for one thing. And it also gets rid of your veins on your legs. <laughs> yeah. And so like, it'll right? help me. I'll sort of put my legs up the wall for like three minutes and take like 10 deep breaths. Oh, that's great And it stuff. will help. Yeah. It will just, it's short but it makes a difference. Mm -hmm. I've never, you know, mindfulness meditation. Like I'm always like, it's not real meditation, but it is like, if you just like take 10 deep breaths and focus on, Mm -hmm. you know, like the in and the out. Um, but I also think like the having weird little rituals helps Mm -hmm. me too. So like, I like routine. Um, and I think that for a lot of people, 
losing their routines, you know, like whether that was getting up and going to a class and going to pick up your coffee right. and all that, like being robbed of those things was so mm-hmm. jarring mm-hmm. that it really triggered a lot of our anxiety. It, it triggered people that are not highly anxious right. to be a little anxious. And yeah, I think you had a lot on your plate in 2020. If you have already <laughs> walked into 2020 with high anxiety, Seriously. <laughs> elevated. I've got a question for people who aren't necessarily anxious by nature tips for the partner. So like Logan doesn't strike me. Maybe is very anxious. Maybe is, I don't know, but what would you say to people to help support from someone who is anxious? What do you need during that time from someone? I think it's, that's such a wonderful question. And like, honestly, like I think, asking that as a part, like as a partner being like, what do you need is it goes so far because it shows the person that you care and that you're not judging them. Because I think that's something that like, I really struggled with when I first developed anxiety was like not being a burden to other people. Mm -hmm. Um, and also sort of just feeling embarrassed about it. And like Logan does not have anxiety, but I very clearly like early on in our relationship communicated what I feel like when I have anxiety, which is so everybody's experience of anxiety and how like how they like to be supported by others. And then also how they support themselves is so unique. And I think people fail to realize that there is no catch all for everyone. Um, But I don't like to be touched. Some people love to be like hugged, have their nervous system compressed that like, I just, I can't, stand to be touched when I'm, I'm super anxious. 2020 and is so, right up your alley. Social distancing. <laughs> Seriously. Exactly. Like I told Logan, yeah, I imagine I'm, I'm the most anxious and nobody wants to touch me. So it's great. Um, I told Logan, like, please, when I'm, when I tell you I'm super anxious, like, please don't touch me. And also it's really important to know that like, I'm not mad at you. That's why the right. communication element is so important because mm-hmm. if I sort of recoiled when he touched mm-hmm. me because I'm having a panic attack, he would be like, why is she not want me to touch her? So sometimes, and also respecting the fact that like, sometimes there's nothing you can do Mm -hmm. and just being there Mm -hmm. is enough. Um, Because I think what is so difficult as an anxious person is you already are so hyper-conscious of not being a burden. But when somebody tries to say, the following. I'm like, if anybody's listening and is not anxious, please don't say these things to an anxious person. Like, (laughs) what are you anxious about? Because Mm, sometimes uh, like it might have an answer, but a lot of times it doesn't. Or mm, what do you, what do you have to be anxious about? Which is like a knife to the heart. (laughs) It's like, if I'm not beating up on uh, myself bad enough, you're going to, you're going to add a little to it. Right. Um, Okay just calm down. I Ooh, mean, oh, that's bad. That's bad oh whether you're anxious God. or not. Don't ever tell <laughs> yeah. me to calm down. <laughs> um, or like, uh, how can I fix it? Because that puts the burden back on the anxious person of being like, oh God, I have to answer them. And like, I don't have an answer. I'm trying to help yeah. myself, but I don't even know how I can fix it. So that those sort of avoiding those things and just being like, if there's anything, so Logan now will just be like, if there's anything you need, I'll be upstairs, you know? And it's like, and that's kind of my ideal support system is like, or 
I don't like to talk things out. Some people really like to talk sure. out their anxiety. I like to talk about it after I feel better. If I mm-hmm. talk about it in the moment, I feel worse. Like if I'm like, worse. my chest is really tight and whatever, if I'm naming the symptoms, then it just spirals more quickly. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm feeling really anxious. I'm going to go do a workout or sit in the bath or read my book or lie down. And Logan's like, okay, great, cool. And um, I think that the like lack of judgment there for is sure. actually really lovely. And he's not literally doing anything, but he's actually doing quite a lot. Mm-hmm. That's think, so key being communication. Right. Yeah. With everything. Yeah. But no, I really commend you for what I believe you're trying to do is normalize, you know, a situation that's mm-hmm. that a lot of people struggle with. Mm-hmm. So many people. And I always talk about this, especially on Instagram, it's like every time I mention anxiety, my DMs like explode. And what breaks my heart about a lot of them is they're like, I like, thanks for letting like letting me know I'm not the only one. Mm -hmm. And I like, I always want to be like, you're definitely not the one, but like, it's not just me. Like there that's in it with you. There are like Millions of and that feels good, doesn't it? I mean, that's yeah. that's the the company, the community of anxiety in a way. Right. I mean, also like anxious people are kind of the best. Like I think, yeah. I think they're. <laughs> I think like honestly, in twenty twenty two, I'm like people have a little bit of anxiety. And there's something really wrong with exactly. <laughs> Right. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm going to jump way 180 and ask you this random question. If you were having dinner with three people, not including Logan or Liz or Lee, (laughs) (laughs) who would it be? Julia Child. Um, I think like Julia Child, David Bowie. uh, Oh yes. Me too. This is such a tough, like, because they all need to get along. Too, along, right. There's a lot. Really I think David Bowie and Julia Child. Y'all are now kind of spirit animals. No, I'm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obsessed. Um, I think I would probably throw, like, I need I need some sort of comedian in right. there. Oh, now so you're talking probably, ladies. That, that's not my language. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> who can I have that is just... I don't know. This is unpopular. Jim Gaffigan. Have you ever oh, watched? Awesome. I watch CBS Sunday morning every week. I am. I am like. I well, you Sunday morning? Yes. No, yes. I watch that too. No, you I know do. who Jim, it is. Jim oh, Gaffigan, God, has been yes. home in his apartment with his yes. five kids. Yes, it's amazing. Uh, don't He's you like wish wholesome humor? And I just yes. love love it. He's like, really good. No, I yes. like. It. That's a good dinner party. Julia Child. That is really good. Yeah. David Bowie. Oh, (laughs) high entertainment. I mean, you'd have the whole thing. Oh, I love that. I love that. So, all right. um, We're going to kind of wrap it up up. with a few, few final questions. Mine is, and separate, it kind of is a, I don't know. I was going to say, who is your mentor if you have one? And maybe it's one of those three. I don't know. Um, I do not have one. And... I wish that I did. It's actually something that I think about a lot. And I hope somebody like comes into my life in that mm-hmm. sort of capacity at some point, because I think having sort of a non-traditional career path can feel like really isolating and daunting at times. And not that mm-hmm. I would expect somebody, I don't need, you know, somebody whose career I'm modeling, but more somebody who could like provide some sort of 
overarching wisdom right. in, in various areas, um, that would be huge. But yeah, I do not currently have them. Okay. I think that comes and goes as your life moves in different directions. uh, You'll have mentors and then you'll have another mentor. All right. I have a question. Um, What feeds your soul besides good food? Laughter. I I always tell people I'm an easy laugh. Like I laugh at anything and everything. (laughs) And like, I live for the, like, I can't breathe. Yeah. Like stomach aches. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so definitely like laughter, humor. I'm a big, like, I have a very tight knit circle of friends and friendship is very, very important to me. And like showing up for people um, makes me feel very fulfilled. Also entertaining. So like I'm, a, I'm an entertainer. Like <laughs> it's really crushed my soul to not have any parties. <laughs> oh, next yeah. year. Fingers crossed. Next year, yeah. Right? Exactly. Until then. You will, but you're still virtual. Online. Right? Great. Yes, that's so true. one of our, it's written on the studio mm-hmm. wall, yep. Liz's motto, be powerful. Two part question. What is your motto? If you have one and when do you feel yourself most powerful, most real, most authentic, most comfortable in your skin? Oh, um, you're ending with the hard question. <laughs> we saved them I up. Think my, I think my life motto, I have a few, but one is like an overarching one is you do you. I really firmly believe mm-hmm. in everybody doing what makes them feel like their best self. And I think it's awesome to have different preferences and to live our lives in different ways. And I'm so conscious of never shoulding anyone. Like I hate, mm-hmm. and I, I, it's a personal pet peeve when I get messages being like, you should mm-hmm. X, even if it's meant in like a really like innocuous way, like, you should use X shampoo. Like, I'm like, Oh, I wish that should wasn't in there. You know, it's just, yep. it's something it's about a bad word. Not, it yeah. is a bad word. It's a bad um, word. And so I think just the philosophy that we're all unique and should be mm-hmm. able to do whatever the hell we want with our lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. When do I feel most myself and most powerful? Um, I think I probably feel like most comfortable and myself when I'm cooking for just Logan and I offline, like when there is no work component to it, when I'm not recording it, I'm not going to take a picture of it to like show anyone. And it's just something that I'm doing to like feed us. And I, I so rarely get to do it anymore that it feels like an extra luxury to be like, mm-hmm. I'm going to like mm-hmm. make this recipe that takes four hours and not show anyone. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. It's just an act of love. That's yeah. that's yeah. real love language, right? Yeah. Wow. Well, you're just, you are lovely. I knew you would be. I knew that oh, the first night, night I met you at Tabor. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys have to put, when you release this, you have to post a photo. If we, we are, will. we are. And now we, we're going to take one in just a second before we get oh, on our thing. We're going to take one of the screens, which Love is it. another great thing. I mean, when you think about it, 2020, I don't know that we would have even thought of doing this, right? Having a no, Zoom never. interview and a podcast. And it we can speak to so many so more people. Easily. So yeah. much. 
Yeah, I think we're taking a lot of things out of 2020 uh, and out of this pandemic that will be really valuable to us. And one of hopefully is to is to have that community worldwide or, you know, whoever your circle is, just make your circles even bigger. And you can do that. And you're doing an incredible job with what you're doing on Instagram and your podcast. And we're just very honored to be with you today. Thank you. So thank you. Thank you both so much. This was such a like lovely way to spend the afternoon. Oh, good. That yeah. was. Well, we know you're busy. We want to send everybody again to your books, The Do Diet, The Do Diet Dinner Time. Your blog is Domesticate Me, right? Yes. Okay. Domesticate dash me. Oh, right. <laughs> Domesticate dash me. People can't find it. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're at Serena G. Wolf, right? On Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we're all going to sign up for your virtual I classes. can't wait. Please I will be there. Let me know when you want to come. I would love, love, love to have oh, you. Oh, we can't wait. Oh, thank you, Serena. Thanks so much. It's so much fun thank talking you. with you. Thanks for listening to the Hilliard Studio Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to the Hilliard Studio Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and a review so that others can find out about us. Don't forget to tell your friends to listen to the podcast too. We're going to keep providing you with great HSM content, including at-home workouts, healthy tips for you and your family, as well as candid conversations with Lee and Liz. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hilliard Studio Method for all the latest HSM news. Book classes, stream workouts, buy gear, and much more at our website, HilliardStudioMethod.com. That's it for now. We'll talk to you next week.